You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Some here may remember an era in American history. It would have been in the late 60s, early 70s. And it was called the Jesus Movement. I preached, I made that statement in the first service, just like I'm making it now. These are identical services. And I had so many people come up to me and say, hey, I was part of that movement. I was in that movement. I had some say, hey, I I actually, that's where I met the Lord, in that movement. And on June 21st, 1971, Time Magazine actually drew the nation's attention to this rapidly developing phenomenon in American Christianity called the Jesus Movement. Or the Jesus Revolution. That is a picture of Time Magazine on June 21, 1971. It was a revival-like atmosphere. It was an exciting time in America regarding Christianity. It moved from coast to coast. It started in California. It, it did. It started in, in, in the, on the West Coast. But like wildfire, like a rushing mighty wind... This thing they called, this revival-like atmosphere that was called the Jesus Movement or the Jesus Revolution. We have something we call Teen Revolution. I mean, it swept across the nation from the West Coast to the East Coast. Now, it was very unique in that it attracted mainly young people, especially in the beginning. Things changed the longer it went. But in the beginning, it attracted lots of young people. It was characterized by a profound personal and emotional experience of God's mercy and God's grace. Many who were involved in this movement, maybe you remember this, many involved in this movement had a genuine desire to be radically discipled for Jesus Christ. I mean, it was a radical time in our nation's history, in church history. This revival movement featured a passionate, personal, and corporate worship Bible study, and lots and lots and lots of evangelism. In fact, tens of thousands of people were saved during this time. In 2023, there was a movie released that was called The Jesus Revolution. Maybe you saw the movie. I'm just curious. Does it matter? You know, no big deal. Just curious how many, just for context, how many when that movie was released in the time it kind of went out of theaters, you went to that movie at least one time. Raise your hand if you went at least one time to that movie. All right, my hand's up. About maybe two dozen people in the building. Yeah, no big deal. If you went to the movie, some of what I'm saying resonates with you. If you've studied the movement at all, and I have, some of that resonates with you. Thousands of people coming to Christ. Now, since the days of the Jesus movement, it's interesting. It's still being talked about. In fact, 2023, there was a movie that came out called The Jesus Revolution, all about the Jesus movement. Not only that, documentaries have been produced about this. Books have been written about this. Dissertations for PhDs, many hundreds of dissertations were written over the years about the Jesus movement to give their opinion theologically as to why they thought the Jesus movement took place. When I got my master's degree from Liberty University, I actually took a class, and the majority of the class was on the Jesus movement. The teacher teaching the class talked about the fact that he he gave several reasons as to why they 
consider this could have maybe taken place. Reasons why it took place. One of them was leadership. Leadership, strong leadership is why. Every movement needs a strong leader, and this one had one. His name was Chuck Smith. He, he was kind of the leader, lead pastor that, that, that came out of this, and recently he passed away. There's a man by the name of Greg Laurie who was saved in the Jesus, Jesus movement underneath the ministry of, of this Chuck Smith, and he still pastors today and holds revivals and crusades all across America. Recently baptized, I think, 3,000 people in an ocean, much like what happened during the Jesus movement. Many of you remember this year, there was a, about an eight-week revival that began at Asbury. Remember that? Did you see it in the news? There was a kind of another rumbling of God working and moving in that movement there in Kentucky. I believe that some of these things, like leadership, lively music, some said the reason is lively music. It's just, uh, you know, young people were kind of tired of pipe organs. They were tired of choirs and choir robes. And so all of a sudden, they started attending churches and bringing their guitars, their drum sets. And band music started to become a, a part of church culture. And, and it was tough. Not everybody liked it. But, but all of a sudden, much like the, 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 what happened in the 90s with Hillsong worship... Much of that, it was a phenomenon in the late 60s, early 70s, lively music entered the church. Sonia said she used to sing with people like Russ Taff and other, even hippies in her church. And she said, man, it was funny watching the older folks come and see people with long hair singing on the platform. Today, it wouldn't be so strange. But back then, it was a a bad thing. Laid back atmosphere. Literally, my teacher said he thought that part of the reason why the revival spread like it did was people were more laid back. It wasn't about suits and ties. It wasn't about wearing your Sunday best. It was about coming as you are, like most of you are here today, right? I mean, I used to wear a shirt and tie every Sunday to church, but since then I got saved, and now, and no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but but it, is, it is interesting how that movement affected even church culture Today, nothing wrong with wearing a suit and tie. I still wear them sometimes. But, but it's not, it doesn't feel necessary. So some say it was a laid-back atmosphere of California and the hippie movement that permeated the culture, made it easy for God to move. Others said it was the love, not war era. The fact that we were having national and international turmoil. The na- international turmoil was that this all happened during the time of Vietnam War. In, a, in our nation, there was the Watergate scandal going on in the political world, in our nation. And there were so many things that young people finally just said, we've kind of had enough. And all these problems nationally and internationally made way for the Jesus movement. I don't know what you think. I tend to believe that those could have been contributing factors. No question about it. Some of those things may have had something to do with it. But I'm here to tell you, the real reason... For the Jesus movement was Jesus. Jesus. People were saying no to religion. And they were saying yes to a personal relationship. Not to the church. Not to a denomination. Not to a style or culture of music. But to Jesus. And it was a period of time that not everyone liked. The established church did not like it. In fact, the couple dozen of you that raised your hand, you remember that was kind of what, how the movie was introduced in an established church. As young people started to attend that established church, people would sit on one side of the auditorium in their suits, and the hippies would sit on the other side of the auditorium. They were smiling. They were not smiling. 
there was a great divide in most churches. People were pushing back against this. To the religious world, the Jesus movement was foolish. To the religious world, the Jesus movement was unstructured and unorganized. And so they would make remarks about these people like this. All they have is Jesus. I mean, they don't have money. They don't have buildings. They don't have any structure. They have no organization. (laughs) All they have is is Jesus. But God is attracted to our weakness. God is attracted to our weakness when it's all about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen carefully. Paul said, brothers and sisters... And I say this to you this morning on behalf of the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing. To bring nothing what is viewed as something. Why did he do that? So that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are. Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord because it's all about Jesus. Christ is enough. He's enough. And yet we live in a religious culture even now that says, you know what? Christ is not enough. Believe it or not, not everyone thinks that Christ is enough. There is a reason to preach a message entitled, It's All About Jesus. Some think it's Jesus and a little ritual. We need to give Jesus some help. He needs tradition. He needs a worship band. He needs a little of that or a little of this. And so we add all these things thinking, yeah, it's Jesus, but it can't just be about Jesus. But by the end of 2024, I'm passionately hoping that the people of Hot Springs, Arkansas, and the people of Garland County will say this about gospel light. All they have is Jesus. That's all they've got. And that's our theme for 2024. It's all about Jesus. That's what the banner says. That's what the bulletin says. That's what the website's going to say. That's what we're going to have t-shirts and maybe coffee mugs and I mean we want it to permeate the culture of this church to where this community has to say I don't know much about that gospel life but I'll tell you this all they've got is Jesus each year we seek the Lord for a scripturally based theme and our theme scripture for this year is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 I want to read it slow if you have a paper copy of your Bibles I encourage you to Underline it, highlight it. If you have an iPhone or, a, or you carry with you an iPad, and that's kind of how you keep up. If you carry nothing, that's fine. Use your notes maybe. But I want you to listen to this first. I'm going to read it slow. I want to divide it into three portions. The Bible says, and whatever you do in word or deed, 
whatever you do in word or deed. Paul goes on to say, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he finishes this verse he, with a climatic statement, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice the emphasis in the verse that I've given it. If you look on the screen and all you did was read the big capitalized words in blue, it would read like this. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. I love how old Eugene Peterson puts it in his message paraphrase. Let every detail in your lives, every detail, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Our 2024 slogan is this, do it all for Jesus. Do it all for Jesus. That's going to show up in different ways in different places this year and different things. And then our theme statement is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss this, as the center. That's a key word. We're going to use that word a lot. As the center of everything we think, say, or do. Jesus is the center of it all. He's the center of what we think. He's the center of what we say. He's the center of what we do. Our preaching this year is going to revolve around the 2024-year theme as, as we preach series throughout the year regarding the seasons of the year. We're going to begin with the winter season, which is right now. It's, it's cold, and it even snowed this week. Amen. But not during school. Oh, me, right? Our 2024 theme is this, Jesus, our model. And we're going to lift the name of Jesus up. We're going to preach this theme. We're going to preach this verse. We're going to make sure we lay a strong foundation for the series to come. Our pre-spring season, which is going to end with Easter Sunday, the last Sunday in March, is about Jesus, our mediator. And then there's the spring season in the greatest church growth months of the year. They say April and May, we're going to talk about Jesus, our master. And then I can hardly wait for the summer series. That's going to be June and July. We're going to go through one of the gospels, the gospel of John, every single Sunday and say that Jesus is our Messiah. The back-to-school season series that's going to be held in August and October, uh, September is going to be my favorite series of the year. At least it is right now as I'm already working, preparing, praying through Jesus, our maker. And then in October, that exciting mission season of the, of the church where we dedicate our lives to supporting missions all around the world and even across the street. We're going to talk about and preach on Jesus, our missionary. In the fall season of November, it's Jesus, our messenger. In the festive season of December, as we once again honor that little child that came as a, and, as a sinless sacrifice for you and for me to be saved, he is Jesus, our majesty. Hey, I hope you can see 2024 is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I want to take the rest of this sermon. And I want to unpack and explore the theme verse. That's my, that's my number one task this morning. I want us all to be so familiar with this verse that we feel as if it's something we can memorize. I've got this on a three, four by six card, laminated with those letters highlighted. And I want this verse to become not just the theme verse for the church, but the theme verse for my personal life and testimony. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, he declares that Jesus holds everything from the majestic to the microscopic and everything in between. He holds it all together. That includes the mundane things in life. That that includes your work, your family, your friends, your faith. Paul wants to make sure they understand that Jesus is the center of it all. So you may ask, like I asked myself as I studied the context of when this verse was written and why it was written and why Paul said it and why he wrote this letter. Because sometimes there can be a disconnect between what is the relevance of a church written, of a letter written to a church 2,000 years ago? What's that got to do with gospel light in technology age 2024? It's got a lot to do with it. You see, the day and age we live in, it seems as if science and knowledge has become the savior. It's all about knowing more. We put our faith in science and our faith in more knowledge. It's the people that are strong and smart and degreed who we give the most homage to. You maybe went through the pandemic and heard statements like this, follow the science. It's all about the science. I mean, hey, Jesus is good. I'll admit it. He's a nice guy. He lived a good life. But we need more than just Jesus. That's the day we live in. Can I tell you that was exactly what was happening in Colossae? Modern-day Turkey. There were two groups of people, the Greeks and the, and the Jews, and they had elevated science and knowledge as the answer to all of their problems. Knowledge had become the Savior, and they heard about Jesus, and so they were saying, okay, he was a good man, but he's certainly not enough. And so Paul writes to the church in that culture, and he says things like in chapter 1, Uh, We read a moment ago in chapter 1 that Jesus is number one. He is all you need. You'll hear this word often throughout the year. He is preeminent, meaning he's this. He's number one. He, He is above it all. He is the center of it all. Only Jesus, we sang this morning. Only Jesus. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, Paul continues to write that we are completed in only Jesus. We find our completeness. He is our all in all. In chapter 3 is where we find the theme verse. And it reads like this. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, this is one of those famous verses, right? I mean, come on. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. For God to love the world. He gives only begotten Son. He believe believed in him. He's not prepared. We can quote verses like this sometimes just like that. I mean, we see him on tattoos, right? I mean, hey, preacher, I got a tattoo. Look at here. Colossians 3.17. Oh, preacher, I, I was driving down the road the other day. Interesting that you, you should use this theme because I saw it on the back of a truck. It's, I mean, the whole back window had, had this verse. And hey, hey pastor, I, look at my T-shirt. Colossians 3.17. Hey, pastor, I got a coffee mug. Colossians 3.17. Hey, pastor, I've got a plaque on my wall hanging above my closet. Colossians 3.17. The truth is so many biblical God-honoring things have become cliché. We hear him so often, we see him so often, that they don't hold the weight they should hold. They don't have the impact on our lives they should have. 
And so in the context of Paul's letter to this young church, this verse is a call to live from a foundation of it's all about Jesus. That is why the book of Colossians was written. And this particular verse encourages believers to live in light of the gospel, to align our actions with, and our words with the principles of Christianity. And the emphasis is on the centrality of Jesus Christ in the life of a believer. I've already given a note there, Millie. You can move it on. In the life of a believer, the centrality of that. He is the center of it all. When we say it's all about Jesus, we acknowledge that our lives find their true identity, get this, and our our true meaning in him. This verse encourages us to align every aspect of our being with the character, with the teachings, and with the example of Jesus Christ. Hey, church, it's all about Jesus. This verse provides us with some principles. Three, three very specific principles. That if we want this verse to be our life's verse, and not just on a t-shirt, a tattoo, a truck window, a coffee mug, or a banner over a couch. If this verse is going to be written on the tables of our heart, we got to understand it. Number one. The first phrase says this. Fully commit to Jesus in all. Fully commit to Jesus in all. That's the opening part of the verse. That's how it starts. In the opening part of the verse, the Apostle Paul urges believers to commit every, every aspect of their lives to him. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything. This verse speaks to both word, what we say, and deed, what we what? What we do. Everything we say and everything we do. This highlights the importance of consistency between what is professed verbally and what is practiced visibly. You see, what we say verbal and what we practice visibly need to come together. Has anybody ever heard this? Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. This is what Paul's saying when he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. Practice what you preach. There's two ways to practice what we preach. The first way is in word. Our commitment to Jesus will be seen in the use of our words. Let's start there. Whatever you do in word covers everything you communicate in in means of language, spoken and written, right? Because today, there's probably more written than spoken. Amen. Uh, Social media. But let's just say spoken for a minute. That means everything, Agnes, that I say to you, I need to do it in the name of Jesus. Everything I say to my wife. How are we doing? I, I, I'm struggling sometimes. Anybody else with me? Everything I say to my children, I need to pause and meditate. Am I doing this in the name of Jesus? Everything I say in the pulpit, everything I say at work, this is my goal. This is my desire. 
This is what I desire to practice this year. I want to fully commit everything to Jesus. And it begins with what I say. But not only what we say with our lips, but what we write out for others to read. This would cover social media. This means before I post something on Facebook or Instagram, before I press whatever it is you press to say it, it's like, is this going to advance the gospel? Is this going to help somebody? I don't like what they said. I think I'll just, no, wait, wait, time out. Wait. Are you doing that in the name of Jesus? This is the email that I returned this year. When I get the email from someone and it hurts, how do I respond to that email? Do I type words that are everything in the name of Jesus? What about the text messages? You ever get a text message and, man, before you think about it, you just respond in the flesh and it had nothing to do with the name of Jesus. It had nothing to do with, with honoring him and loving others. It had everything to do with just how you felt in that moment. Whatever you do in word, do it in the name of Jesus. That's everything. Number two, our commitment to Jesus is going to be seen in what we do with our works. Our works. This includes everything you do at home, everything you do at work, everything you do at church, everything. Everything is what? Everything. This includes how you drive your car. You say, come on, pastor. I mean, you're meddling now. How I drive my car? Well, I, if I can remove driving from everything, I would. How you do your chores. How you go about your daily routine in life. Your behavior at work. Shopping. Eating at the restaurant. How we respond to our service at, at a restaurant. Our chores, our dress, our hygiene, the mundane things of life. All we do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that begs the question, at least I have one if you don't, and that's this. Did Paul really mean everything? That's the question I've got. I mean, and I'm going to help us all understand it because I had to come to an understanding of it. Let me explain it this way. Some translations actually translate the word everything as the word all. Let me read you the New King James Version that says it like this. In Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do. Preacher, why did you make that little, small, three-letter word so big? Because it is a big, small word. You ever gotten the biggie, small at Squeezebox? Best pizza they got. The biggie, small. That's a small word, but it's got a big impact. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. By the way, tell Squeezebox I plugged him from the pulpit. That deserves at least one free biggie, small. Amen. (laughs) We've been so serious, I think it was a good moment to be lighthearted for just a moment. Are you ready to go back to serious? All is a small word. But there's nothing that's not covered by the word all. Look at it again. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now wait, time out. Paul could have said something else. Paul could have said, do some things in the name of the Lord Jesus. He could have. Paul could have said, do most things in the name of Jesus. Or what about this one? Do almost all in the name of Jesus. Or what about this? Do mostly all in the name of Jesus. All is about our commitment to Jesus. All. Let me illustrate this way. If I were to say in this building this morning, hey, let's all stand together. Don't don't, don't participate. But if I did, and 
Two-thirds of you stood, but one-third of you remained seated. Would that be all, yes or no? No. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? I mean, I think we would all notice, man, not everybody stood. But what if I said, let's all stand, and everybody stood but one? And we really couldn't see where they were, but they were sitting. I mean, only one in a building this size. Balcony, people you can't see. Main floor that's relatively full this morning. And, and only one remained seated. Everybody else stood. Can I make a suggestion, just a suggestion, that that is all? Here's why. Because it's almost all. Because it's, you can't even notice who's not standing. It's not a big deal. I think if we, sh- if we really want to sound good to the public, we just say everybody stood, everybody agreed. I mean, I, okay, one didn't, but that doesn't matter, does it? What did Paul mean when he said all? I mean, if I were writing this verse in the flesh, if there was an ECV, you know there's an ESV. So what if there was an ECV? What's that? Erica Pacey version. This is the way I would write it. And whatever you do, publicly at church, at work, only when people see you, when you're not alone, in word or deed, do only those public type of things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I feel better. I've got a way out. Because we as people, your pastor, has a difficult time sometimes separating the spiritual from the secular. Sometimes we just want to separate it. It just feels better to, hey, this is my spiritual side. This is my secular side. But what did Paul mean? When Paul said all, he had no exceptions in mind. Publicly, privately, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If there's one thing that God didn't mean, then he cannot mean all things. He just can't. Paul was intentional when he used the word all. Paul is saying there's a full commitment to live your life like Jesus Christ. And it takes everything. Number two. First of all, fully commit to Jesus and all. Secondly, faithfully carry his name well. His name. What is his name? What is his name? Jesus. In fact... In church, we should be able to say that name as loud as we possibly. Jesus! It's a popular name in here. It's a name we all feel comfortable with. It's a name we sing about. It's a name that's in most of the songs we sing. Jesus. How do we faithfully carry that name well? Here is how Paul said it in Colossians 3, 17b. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus implies some things. It implies that our conduct should be a testament to our faith. Do everything in the name of Jesus. Carry the name of Jesus well. One thing you'll find as you read scripture this year, that the name of Jesus has power. It has power this morning. I mean, even on that, even on that banner, it's just powerful, isn't it? It's not small, it's big because it's big. It's big because it's Jesus. It's when we sing only Jesus, and when, when you sing that song this morning, and, and that song builds, it's like, whoa, Jesus. He's the name above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess, right? That name has dominion. That name has power. That name has influence. It has weight. Why? It's just something about that name. 
Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And the apostle Paul, John said that our lives need to reflect the Lord Jesus. Listen to 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And Paul said to that church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, we pleaded with you, we encouraged you, we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Because it's all about Jesus. Be people who carry his name well this year because it's all about Jesus. Everything we do in word and everything we do in works, we are to do in the name of Jesus. Eric Capace this year, when you open your mouth, Eric, listen, Eric, speak in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, Eric, Eric, whatever you do in staff meeting, whatever you do at the dinner table, whatever you do at the restaurant, let it be a reflection of the Lord Jesus and point people back to him because it's all about Jesus. We are representing Jesus as his followers carry his name well in 2024. People need to hear that we believe there is a name that is above every name and his name is Jesus. His name has power. His name heals, his name saves, his name restores, his name redeems. And we sang a moment ago, his name brings dead things to life. I want my marriage this year to be all about Jesus. My wife's listening online today because my mother-in-law on Christmas Eve fell and broke her shoulder. And she's 88. And so we're, we're taking care of her. So honey... I know you're listening. I want to say this. I want our marriage to be all about Jesus in 2024. I desire to love my wife and my children and my grandchildren in word and in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know what's interesting? It's interesting that if you later, not now, but later, if you read Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, that's the theme verse, right? What's interesting is the next five verses deal with relationships. This is verse 17. Verse 18 deals with wives. Verse 19 deals with husbands. Verse 20 deals with children. Verse 21 deals with parenting. And verse 22 deals with work. You can read it later. But the next five verses deal with all, the, I mean, that sums it all up. I mean, my wife uh, or your husband or your children or your parents, parenting or your work. I mean, that's every relationship we could possibly have in life. And then he goes on to say in verse 23, the next verse after those five verses following 17 and 23, he says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. In other words, it's all about Jesus. Number three, and I'm done. Fully commit to Jesus and all, faithfully carry his name well. And then notice that last phrase it's climatic. 
Flow continuous thank to God. Flow continuous thanks to God. Look at it. Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that. Because the third and final part of this verse encourages a spirit of continuous gratitude. Isn't that amazing? You know what's crazy? I don't know if you've noticed this. I have, and obviously I should because I'm, I'm the one preaching. But it seems as if like the last ten sermons I've had... For whatever reason, it always has something about Thanksgiving in it. There's something about being mindful of gratitude, of Thanksgiving, that is necessary for it to be about Jesus. Because life is hard, right? Do bad things happen to good people, yes or no? Yes. Have you had a tough week at some point this week? Yes. Are some of you involved in what I'm involved in, caretaking? Yes. Are there things in our finances that we wish were better? Yes, life can be difficult. But I want you to know, living in constant thanksgiving reinforces the reality that it is all about Jesus in every season of our life. And I want you to read this next statement with me. When we express our gratitude to God, here's what it does. It shifts our focus. It shifts our focus from what may be lacking because that's what we focus on. What's lacking in our marriage? What's lacking in our church? That's what we focus on. I know people that if you ask them to list 20 good things about their church, they could do it in a New York second. And if you asked them to list uh, five negative things about their church, it would take them a while, but they come up with five, but that's what they focus on. They focus on that. What's lacking? Well, I mean, that's good, but this is the problem. Instead of the present. If I focused on what was lacking in my marriage, I don't know if I'd have a good marriage or even if I'd be married. I'll be honest, when I focus on what's lacking, I tend to distance myself from it. I tend to not want to be a part of it. I tend to want to find another church, find another wife, find another whatever. But when I focus on what is present, that God is faithful, that God is good, that he's been good to me to give me a faithful wife. He's been good to me to give me brothers and sisters in Christ that love me in the good times and the bad. He's been good to give me a job that I can pay my bills with. He's been good to give me friends that are perfect, but they're good friends. Are you with me? When we are gracious, when we are gratitude, when we express our thanksgiving to God, it shifts our focus from what's lacking to what is present. Let's look at our theme verse one more time. And notice those last words, giving thanks to God the Father through him. My New Year's challenge to you last year, was to, last sermon, was to wake up every morning and start with giving thanks to God. In 2024, may we flow continuous thanks to Jesus. Paul tells us that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we give thanks in everything. Look at Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for everything. Paul even goes on to say it's the will of God. It's the will of God to give thanks. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Giving thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We are to give thanks in and for all things because it's all about Jesus. I'll close with this. I was raised, born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. My parents were divorced when I was two and a half years old. My brother and I 
lived with my mother. We were raised in a single-parent home and stayed every other weekend with dad. At age 13, my mom got a job offer in five different metropolitan areas across the nation, as well as Hot Springs, to be an RN nurse in what was called an IV therapy unit of the, of the hospital. There was a, that was an era when hospitals were being sued for missing the sticks in, in these IVs, and people were suing the hospital for nurses taking five, six, seven, ten. Has anybody ever been through that? My mom could nail a vein the first time. Didn't matter how thin, didn't matter. She was incredible. And so she became a rock star and got offers to go to Los Angeles, New York City, Miami, Florida, and would you believe it, Hot Springs, Arkansas. St. Joseph's on Whittington Avenue. The reason she took that job, although it was the less, least pay and the least glamorous, was because it was only 450 miles away from a good dad that had never missed a child support payment. So we moved to Hot Springs. My mom had been saved in a, in a parking lot of a grocery store. She had been attending a non-denominational church. We moved to Hot Springs, and my dad told my mother, if there's one thing I'm going to ask you, I know you're leaving. I know I'll not get to see the kids as much, but please let them go to a Catholic church. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but this is what my dad asked. And please let them go to a Catholic private school. I'll pay for everything. And so my mom got to town and she went to St. John the Baptist Church. She walked into the building with my brother and I. He was in the sixth grade and I was in the eighth grade. I was 13, he was 11. He pastors today in Las Vegas, a big Southern Baptist church. He said, I'm here to enroll my boys in this school. And the principal said, we only go up to the sixth grade. We can take one, but not the other. It goes up, I think, to the eighth grade now, but it didn't then. Mom calls dad and she gives him the bad news. The Catholic church here that has a school only goes up to the sixth grade. I'll have to separate the boys. She said, there's a private school I found that's K through 12. It's a little Baptist church and it's not much. and I can't afford it, but if you'll pay, I'll put him there. And my dad said, I'll pay it and I'll continue to pay child support. Just please put him in that private school. My, wife, my mother, my saved mother enrolled her two little boys in this little school. And on the first day of school at chapel, I got radically saved. Like stupid, like crazy. Like I went off the charts. I mean, like I, I got it all. I mean, if you can get it all, I got it all. I didn't just pray a little prayer. I didn't have to repeat it and not mean it. I mean, it was more than a prayer. It was like Jesus Christ radically saved me, changed me. And I began to follow him in a way that I I just, it's like it was yesterday. It's that fresh. It's that fresh. Two years later, at age 15, my preacher on a Wednesday night with a small crowd preached on surrender. And I gave my life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for all my days. I preached my first sermon when I was 16 in D. Queen, Arkansas, in a two-day revival after only having preached one time for 10 minutes. Crazy. We had two people saved that week. And then it came time to go to college. I enrolled in a college in Indiana, and in my senior year, I saw a little Japanese girl walk across the platform, get her degree, and I said, she's cute. Actually, I, I said a little more than that. I don't know if you said she's hot back then, but... I think that came later. I think that was like 
Jesus movement stuff, you know. I said, man, she's, she's good looking. I asked her out. She said yes. I couldn't believe it. How could a girl that incredible make it through college and not be dating? Lucky me. A year later into our relationship, I realized she was really special. But she had to know something. So I took her out. We sat on a park bench at a little lake. And I just looked at her and said, listen, Carol Ann, before we go any further, I've got to be honest. I need you to know something. You will always be number two in my life. You will never be number one. Jesus Christ is always going to be number one. She looked at me with fire in her eyes, as some of you men know what that looks like. And she said, are you insulting my walk with God? She goes, you'll always be number two as well. And I said, this will make for a perfect relationship. Two people pursuing Jesus above all else can only get closer as the years go on. We've been married for 35 years. I married her one year after that. We went to California to what we thought was a great church, and it was. It had a 1,000 people in it, but we were the youth pastor and youth pastor's wife, and only one person showed up to youth group. One. I was ready for a big youth department. I mean, you would think a church of a 1,000 would have dozens and dozens of teens, but only one showed up. We loved that one girl. Her name was Christine Brandt. Christine turned into two, five, ten. Within one year, we were averaging 150 teens at Wednesday Bible study. We saw a small form of our own Jesus revolution. Many of those young people got saved and baptized in the church. Today, they're serving as pastors and missionaries, many of them still across the world. The church kind of pushed back against it. They spent way more money on football than they did the youth, and I just didn't see how I could continue so I got a phone call from somebody in Hot Springs Arkansas even though we were happy and it was hard to leave those teens that were on fire for God we left California and drove 1500 miles to this little town called Hot Springs Arkansas where I I got saved we planted the church we had $700 left of the 3,000 when we got here and we lived in a little apartment or rather excuse me a little house in the middle of the woods and on Jaguar Trail out towards Lonsdale my brother lived in one room with his wife, and I lived in one room with my wife, and our two kids lived in the third room, and we just sucked it up until we could get enough money to get our own place. In the meantime, the church was filling up. It wasn't a big church. It was just a small church, just 16 by 80. was the You could fit about 80 people comfortably. We were having close to 100, sometimes 120. It was really not even legal what we were doing. People would drive up and walk off, and then we experienced the the. the, the outpouring of the God's blessings upon our church and we decided to try to raise some money and build another building and we did it's now our Spanish church it was a 350 seat auditorium that didn't last long it filled up and then we got a phone call from Second Baptist they were going through a lot at the time struggling with their identity trying to figure things out and they wanted to sell their buildings and go across town which is now Crossgate a great church on the mountain he, asked, he said he'd sell it for $5.5 million. Our average offerings at the time were 5000 I said, yes. It was a joke. When I made the offer to the deacons, they laughed. We spent two years walking around these properties, begging God to open the doors. Two years into it, they lowered their price less than, less than half. And we bought these 12 acres in the city. We started a Bible college. It grew to 300 students. Our Christian school at the time was exploding, nearly 200 students. Our church was incredibly big, 1,500 people on an average Sunday. Until God knocked on my door and said, Eric, 
you're not following me like you need to. You're legalistic. You care more about what man thinks than what I think. I heard his voice loud and clear say, I've got a different path for you. It's going to follow me. It's just going to look different. And I started following. And when I started following, I didn't realize that not everybody's excited about the way you follow Jesus, even if it's a little different than the way they're following Jesus. We began to have people walk out the door. The church went from 1,500 to about six or 700. The Christian school went from 150 to 200 to 50. The college went from 300 to 30. And in 30 days, the bank was going to foreclose on our buildings. Sonia Chittam's dad, Cliff, who's in heaven today, wrote us a check to get us caught up on our payments. And we haven't looked back since. It's been a long road to recovery, but God has begun to bless again. And even though there's a little different style of things at times, and we probably need to continue to work our way through that. There's no method to the madness as much as there is just a desire to want to worship and please the Lord. We're still on that journey. Be patient with us, but we're getting there. And the church is growing again. We started a second service. The school is back to 150. The college is at 150 and accredited, and God is putting it together. But there's still something. I still feel that knock again. And so what I've done is I've come to a place where I want to publicly confess to you that I've made a public decision in 2024. And I want to be the first to read you my decision card. Today, I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. I'm rededicating. I can answer questions privately if you'd like to know what that means. But I can tell you what it means. In order for my life to be all about Jesus, I've got to rededicate. I've got to refresh. I've got to look at the way that I've been saying things and I've been doing things. And I've got to get them in line with Jesus. I need to to make some improvements with his help. Not because I have the power or the strength to do it. Because if I live and dwell in his presence, only good things can happen. So I let you know. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's a rededication. Your pastor wants you to know first. I'll close with this. C.T. Studd. Anybody ever heard of C.T. Studd in the building? Not many. C.T. Studd was a cricket player in England. You say, oh, no wonder. I don't know C.T. Studd. He got radically saved and became a missionary. You ought to read about it. Just Google C.T. Studd and read read, read for a few minutes. It's incredible. C.T. Studd went to inland China and India and became a missionary. Thousands of people were being saved when he fell deathly ill. He almost died. He came back to England. They nursed him back to health. He was already famous in England. He could have stayed there and finished his life. But when he got better, he said, you know, this time God's calling me to Africa. He goes to Africa and he becomes a missionary there after being in India and China. He gets sick again and he dies there. But before his death, he wrote these words. And I've cherished these words in this poem now for 30 years. C.T. Studd said this. Two little lines I heard one day Traveling along life's busy way Bringing conviction to my heart And from my mind would not depart Only one life will soon be passed And only what's done for Christ will last 
Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, it will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy and sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife. Pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's all about Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to pray and give you a chance to respond. And I know the devil is in the midst of this moment as much as he possibly can. Distractions can happen. Things to get our minds off of what the Holy Spirit is saying. Could it be that someone in this building today needs to accept Christ as their Savior? Well, I want you to know I'd love to know that, pray with you, rejoice with you. For that reason, we'll be up front ready to pray, ready to pray with any believer or non-believer ready to pray about any decision you may need to make this morning. If you feel led to come, we want you to know we'll be here. But whatever God is saying to you, I challenge you this morning, I beg you this morning, I plead with you in the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, listen to his voice. What is he saying to you about this theme? How is he speaking to you about taking the first steps to making it all about Jesus? Father, I love you. I thank you for this church family of mine for 35 years. I thank you, God, for what, or 31 years. I thank you, God, for what you're doing and how you're working. God, thank you for the work you're doing in my heart, how you're establishing my steps and my ways and my words and my works from the very start of this year. I've been under conviction about this theme. Lord, I don't want to preach this theme from a place of I'm there. I want to preach this theme in honesty from a place that I want to be there. I want to grow into this theme. I want this theme to become more than hype messages, although that's important. It's important for us to feel the energy of the Spirit. But, Father, when I leave this building, I want that energy to rest in my heart. I want that energy to speak to me throughout the week as I talk to people and as I do the work of the ministry and the work of a dad and a granddad and a friend. Father, change me from the inside out. I want it to be all about Jesus in 2024. I want to lay a foundation for the rest of my life. And at 58, God, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?